I actually see that as being a trend that will come out of this. Mm -hmm. It's like we see companies have classically competed on features or technology or prices. Now they're competing on design. I think another thing that we're going to see companies compete on is data security right. and respect for yes. their user. Hey, welcome to the UX and Growth Podcast. This is Jeff. I'm a UX engineer at HubSpot. I'm Matt, and I'm a growth engineer at HubSpot. And this is Austin. I'm a UX designer at HubSpot. Today, we're going to talk about some really important stuff that's been in the media uh, a lot lately, especially around some recent statements released by Apple. We're going to discuss uh, data collection and security and how that relates to uh, the changing landscape around experimentation and, and privacy, and also how it's going to impact design and uh, competition of, of companies in the future. So I think that this is a really important topic. It's something that for a long time people really didn't seem to care about. Like it wasn't totally on their radar. I don't think a lot of people knew how much data was being collected on them on a daily basis for probably, you know, at least a decade's time on the web, right? It's like one it was, of those things that you're just, it's kind of in the background until you get hacked and then you're like, oh crap, yeah. this is a big deal. Yeah, like this, there's, there's a lot of information about me floating around out there and people are recreating who I am as a person in, the, in their database or whatever and that's some creepy stuff. And uh, it gets even creepier when you start to involve the government in it, right? right. Uh, and that's basically what Apple was talking about in this statement that they recently released. If you're not um, aware of the Apple statement, it was published uh, uh, in early February. And basically, what they were talking about is uh, the US government was asking for Apple to essentially install a backdoor on the iPhone so that uh, the FBI could go in and pull data off of one specific iPhone uh, that was used in a terrorist attack and figure out what was going on there and everything. And Tim Cook himself, the CEO of Apple, actually released a statement saying, we've been pressured by the government to do this many times. This is something that we have c continuously uh, said we would not do. But now we feel that we need to go public about this and, and let you all know uh, that this is happening, that they're trying to pull a, you know, a lot of information um, off of this phone. And basically the reason that this is such a concern to Apple and to the public is because once that back door is built, it's something that could theoretically be used on any device. It's not something that would just be used on um, that device. And even more so, it sets a precedent with the U.S. government where now they can, they have the ability to go to Apple and say, hey, give us this information. So right. you have somebody, even, even if they may be a terrorist, somebody purchasing an Apple product under the, the promise that their information will be treated with care and then uh, having that effectively revoked from them. And as much as we would like to revoke that from, from people who commit crimes, uh, the risk of revoking it from everybody is still there. And, I, and that's what uh, Apple seems to be the most concerned with. This has caused a lot of, a lot of controversy, though, as, as surprising as that is. Yeah. Um, 
where you know you've got a lot of different people weighing in on it a lot of people I would say probably the majority supporting Tim Cook and his decision it's a super difficult decision to make to yeah, go exactly. public about that I heard uh, a really good way to sum it up um, in terms of like why why this is wrong right like the FBI is saying things like um, you know you clearly like this is the angle to take on everything you have nothing to hide right so why is this a problem uh, the analogy that I, I I saw this on Twitter I actually went to look it up a second ago and I couldn't find it but I'm gonna paraphrase for you um, <laughs> the idea is that let's say that you have a community of rental homes okay and you have a, a large community and a crime is committed in one of those homes you would have no problem letting the police into that house right they have a warrant things are going on uh, in that particular home, you know it's a problem, and you're like, of course the police can come in and do the investigation. What the FBI is doing is they're going, we would like keys to all of these houses, even though nothing's happened yet. We mm -hmm. just want to be able to get into any of them at any yeah. time. And that's, that's kind of a problem, right? Like, what you're doing is you're allowing um, uh, an organization to snoop in in places where no crimes have happened. You know, and they're trying to be preventative, which is kind of the, the moral battle, right? It's like, of course, we don't want these to happen. But does that justify letting you snoop in and learn and assume things about people that haven't actually committed any crimes? Mm -hmm. You know, the minute you start convicting people that haven't committed crimes is the minute that we're in like an Orwellian society. And like, that's this, this battle that's been going on for a long time. Um, yeah. And that's where, uh, in a lot of ways, I think that the, the argument and the debate around the need for you know upholding encryption and upholding data security and, and not building backdoors into widely used software platforms is so incredibly important, potentially one of the most important discussions uh, that our generation has faced, right? Um, it's the amount, we, we know from like firsthand experience, just, I mean, anybody that's used Google Analytics, right, knows from firsthand experience, like the power of, of even very, very basic tools to collect such in-depth information on people. Right. And the ways in which that can be leveraged uh, if, if you turn over levels of information that are like so much more in depth than that it's just it's incredible and it's, and it's unprecedented in the general um landscape like if we were to scale this down into a more um kind of real world situation you know something like apple and the government it feels like uh, superman and batman fighting each other mm -hmm. right um but something that's like a little more of a normal dilemma is this concept of you've got users and uh you have the ability to collect data on them and you know, you, it's, it's actually, they did a survey, um, like almost 90% of Americans feel like they need to be asked for permission before data can be collected on them. Now we know in practice that this just doesn't work that way, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it does, if we count terms of service as an agreement, which I haven't read a terms of service in probably 10 years, so I don't really know. I'm like, impressed you ever read one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> maybe, the, maybe the very first one that ever came. What yeah. is this? Yeah, right? You're like, should I be reading this? And then as you, you know, sign up for 100,000 different services, you're like, all right, whatever. They all say the same thing. doesn't matter. So, um, but that's where they're asking for permission. Terms of service is like, you agree to have this data collected on you. And in reality, you haven't really agreed to it you've just checked a box and like from a legal standpoint, you've agreed, you know? Um, but 
that's when users get upset is when suddenly they realize they're having data collected on them. Mm. And mm -hmm. this has happened over and over and over again with Facebook specifically. You know, they, all they do is run on data collection. Um, where users kind of pick up their pitchforks when they realize that things are being collected on them that otherwise they didn't know they agreed to. Um, and you, from a user experience standpoint, that's a bad thing. Like you don't want users feeling like they don't have control. Yeah. You know, giving, making users feel like they don't have control is like the number one rule of user experience. It's like you need to make sure that they're all, they always feel like they're not getting lost and they always feel like they have control over their experience. Collecting data and pulling information out and taking it away from them without them giving permission of such things is, um, is you have to like, it's really hard to decide on should we should we wait for permission or should we just run that experiment? And that's why I think good for Apple for coming out and publicly like being transparent about this. And I think the situation warranted that. Right. But it's like a constant moral dilemma of we want to collect this information, we don't want to tee off our users, uh, but we need it. But also, like, we want to be a good company. We want to be transparent. Like, do we just hide this in the terms of service, which Apple probably could have done. Right. They could have just hit it in there and no one would ever, like, maybe, like, some person would read through it and, like, it would be released, like, years later. It would be a scandal or whatever. But, like, they were transparent about it. And it seems to be working in their favor. Like, I'm just looking at their stock price right now. And a lot of companies, if they just came out and said, like, we're collecting all this data that you didn't know that we're collecting, like, they're going to have a hard time with their user base. There's going to be a lot of outcry about it their stock price is probably yeah. going to tank. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that doesn't seem to have happened here. So I think like I think they made the right call. But of course, right? Because that is this is in, in a time when technology is advancing at a rate that is faster than any form of legislation or bureaucracy could ever imagine to keep up with. It is in a lot of ways going to be uh, uh, placed on the the onus is going to be placed on the company and on these sort of you know more private governing bodies right. if you will to protect the people that do business with them and I think that you know like you can talk about the legislative side of this all day probably the the arguments are are really clear and they're self-evident right like obviously uh, people they care about national security, but they also care about their own personal security, and, right. and we have to find legislation that's going to support that. But I think it gets really interesting when you start to put this in the context of design and of a greater business. You know, like what what do these developments mean to people mm -hmm. who are building products, people who are running experiments like we're running? You know, like right. um, <clears throat> what influence should this have on our processes? And I think that if, if you look at like the, the history of how customers or how people have perceived data collection, it's we're dealing with a changing landscape right now. Where, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, there was like a, a certain group of people who were really, really deep into technology. You know, think like late, late, early, late 90s, you know, de like develop. Like there was, it was like you had like internet cafes and that was the people who knew how to code <laughs> and like that was it, but it was mostly like an underground thing. And yeah. then eventually like they- like hackers. Yeah, yeah. And then, but then they started developing products that the people that didn't understand code wanted to use, you know? You see like MySpace becoming a real thing or Google, you know, I can remember my grandma saying, oh, I have to tell you about this thing. It's called the Google. That was in like 2008, yeah. you know? While she's so reminding her VC uh, VCR. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, so it's these these products start to come onto the radar from from these that were conceived by these very technical people, and they start to be used by non-technical people. But as the the products become ever more integrated into our life, and as people that are technically minded, the, that population increases. I think we're seeing more and more people understand the technology that they're working with, and they're also understanding the incredible power of it. And now, I think Apple is, is probably the first real good example of just an amazingly large-scale company that has recognized that change, and they're like, we're gonna get ahead of the wave. We, we know that the people that, you know, for so long were saying, oh, like, you know, I'm, I'm not a terrorist, so I don't care about them collecting information on me. We know that people are wising up to the fact that that's a completely ignorant viewpoint and that those people are going away. And we have to be proactive about the fact that we are that we respect people's privacy and we're going to uphold that. And I think that this is something that a lot of companies, any company that's dealing with data, whether it be a startup or, a, you know, a public company, they have to keep this in mind and they should use this as an early sign for like where the marketplace is going. I think uh, an interesting example of being transparent about security and doing it right in terms of uh, design Mm -hmm. is look at any app store. Look at the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store. You install an app and it tells you exactly what that app has access to. It has access to your camera, has access to your browsing history, has access to your contacts, has access to your email address, and then you as a user can make the call hey, am I okay with this app having access to this? Do they even really need access to this for like a calculator to work? Why do they need my email address? Maybe I give them access to it on a limited basis just when I want them to have access. Yes. But it's not something that's buried in a terms of service agreement when you get the app. Yeah, and then think of everything else that you buy, like real world products or you sign up for a web service or whatever it may be. They don't list out in a clean, consistent format exactly what this app is going to have access to and what they're going to do with it. And I mm-hmm. think that's like a clear differentiator. So app stores, they have an advantage in that they can do everything consistently. And so that transparency is effective. Mm-hmm. And on the web, everyone is, it's just kind of like a free for all. You do what you can, you have your terms of service. You can be really transparent about what you're doing or you can not be transparent about what you're doing. And as a result, no one, there's, there's no standardization, so you just never know what's going to happen with yeah. your data, and that's a problem. Yeah. And you think about like some of, some of the companies that are dealing with big data right now and what their public perception is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think of an extreme example, Palantir, right? Mm-hmm. In, in, in the, the tech community, this is a, a really well-known company. It may not be quite as well-known to the general public, though I'm willing to wager it soon will be because of the crazy amount of data collection that they're doing for basically our government on a contract basis. And mm-hmm. if you walk around MIT's campus, yeah. there are literally recruitment signs on their campus that say, join Palantir, you won't believe what we're doing is legal, right? <laughs> and wow. so, that's so, uh, yeah. So there's one, that's one side of the spectrum. That sounds like porno. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how we do should you know edit that out, sorry. Yeah, but then, then, you have the, then you have the other end, like uh, companies like DuckDuckGo. You know that are there. There, it's like that's uh, how could how could you even conceive the idea of a search engine actually coming mm. up against Google, which actually isn't really a company that's known for doing bad stuff with your data in the first place. Yet DuckDuckGo is extremely active, and they especially like they rode the SOPA and PIPA wave really well. You know, mm-hmm. and but I think that uh, like looking at what what Apple is doing. 
as like a, a really good example of, of how a company is getting ahead of the curve. And then contrasting that with some of the, the, the work that Facebook is doing. I think that's really true. Like the trends do seem like they're going toward if you compete on being uh, like doing the right thing with people's data mm -hmm. and being upfront about it, like that's a legitimate uh, like advantage that you can have. Like look mm -hmm. at Adblock and Firefox. They're like, and they've recently said, Mozilla, they said, okay, we're just not gonna show ads at all in any of our browsers anymore. Mm -hmm. And we're gonna like be super consistent about data collection. Mm -hmm. And it's gonna be really interesting to see like, are people gonna migrate more toward Mozilla's browsers as a result of that? Mm -hmm. That They're making like a very clear bet that uh, that data security is a critical advantage of their browser versus other browsers. Mm -hmm. um, there's a there's another side to this, and we touched on it a little bit with like the Google Play Store mm -hmm. example. Do you guys remember the Facebook Messenger security scandal that happened like the minute that they took the Facebook Messenger app and made it into a separate, like they took it out of Facebook and made it a separate app. And there was mm -hmm. this outcry mm -hmm. about all these things, like don't get the Messenger app because it's gonna do all these terrible things and it's gonna record you and it's gonna listen on your location all the time. It's gonna do all this stuff. Now, that has been completely debunked. And really what happened was they just flipped out because you know they got the security readout when they had to um, install it and they saw like needs access to your camera. Like, why would it need access to my camera? Like, it's gonna record me. Like, people just didn't, it, it was a very shallow reaction mm -hmm. to something that um, most apps have. Like, it needs, it needs access to your camera, right? So you can take pictures and send it to your friends. Like, that's the reason. Like, they have to ask for that stuff up front. However, I think that there's going to be, and there's, there always is now, um, but it, it's going to continue as technology uh, develops and you've got you know, more ways that people can interface with technology. Um, apps are gonna have to ask for permission to do things that yes, they could listen in and you have to be able to trust these apps not to do stuff like that, mm -hmm. right? You know, like a level of, of trust that is gonna go, and you can't expect people to read those terms of service like exactly like what we're gonna do and what we're not gonna do. Although companies can benefit by having a very easy to read and to understand kind of security manifesto. Mm -hmm. um, I unfortunately don't have a great example, which is probably a bad thing, um, of companies that lay it out on like in, in a non-legal fashion like this is what we collect with your data, or this is what data we collect, this is what we won't do with your data, this is what we will not collect, this is the information that is not included when we're collecting. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, making it very clear about, you know, this is anonymous, or, um, you know, we don't save your data after a certain amount of time and it gets deleted right away. And like making it just easy to understand and easy to access um, will put a lot of users at ease when they're going into something that asks for a lot of permissions up front. You know, sometimes you need a lot of permissions to make your apps work, mm -hmm. um, and you shouldn't have to take that away just because you think people won't let you do it, as long as you're clear. I'm gonna be really interested to see how many uh, apps out there make that bet to try and disrupt the current kingpins based on the one play that they're not, like they're just gonna say, we don't need access to your camera, we don't need access to your data, we're just a calculator, we just work. And right. as a result, if the population is uh, like if they care this much about data, that that calculator app that doesn't that just says like we don't need your data for this kind of thing, we're just a calculator. Uh, they have a legitimate stance to disrupt whatever the current yeah. leader is. So that's actually I actually see that as being a trend that will come out of this. Mm -hmm. It's like we see companies have classically competed on features or technology or prices. Now they're competing on design. I think another thing that we're going to see companies compete on is data security right. and respect for yes. their user. Um, and that's something that 
that will, I, I think that we're starting to see that. I think we're gonna see that happen way, 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 way more. Uh, I think we're going to see companies uh, that will be created for the sole purpose of managing your personal data security, like mm -hmm. uh, so. even they, with they, other. It's vendors. already started. That's something. Sure. That's something that's already started. But like you know, you were, like Jeff, you were saying it's there are certain things where it's going to be like too hard to know like what what everything is doing. I could imagine that. Right. Very, like I would pay a company to to monitor that for me, a company that I trust. Right. right? Um, I would I would start if I had, you know, options to do business with companies that I knew were going to respect my data and respect me as a user, I would absolutely choose them even if their feature set was not as robust. I right. think this is the the future uh, tech user that we're going to see. Do we have any numbers on like the population and the breakdown of people that like are saying, I really care about my data security and I will choose the option that uh, handles my data in a like responsible way because um, it has it must be broad like I'm thinking of, mm -hmm. of my mom like she's super paranoid about data security <laughs> you know like to the point where like she puts like the sticky note on top of her laptop yeah good for uh, her camera because <laughs> like that whole like the light doesn't need to be on to be recording you thing, yeah you know yeah. so I like this isn't just like Millennials this is I think that if I had to guess and I have no idea because I have no numbers in front of me like this is probably a general trend for everyone right um, I did do a little bit of research um, in terms of just it's just an American survey. Mm -hmm. um, the one thing that I can't answer for you is like, would they pick a different product based on that? Because yeah. this is one, isn't what that covers. Um, That's a bet that I think people are making. Right. You know, it's hard to really answer that question. So this is a 2015 survey. Um, let me just read a couple of points uh, that came off of it. One, 93% of adults say that being in control of who can get information about them is important. 74% feel this is very important, while 19 say it's somewhat important. So um, I guess you could say that uh, it's in like the, the nine out of 10, but not the, the 10 mm -hmm. out of 10 um, is mm -hmm. 93%. 90% say that controlling what information is collected about them is important. 65 say it's very important, 25 say somewhat important. So um, being clear is very important here, clearly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Clearly, it's clear to be clear. Um, the, <laughs> so let's see. Um, at the same time, Americans also value having the ability to share confidential matters with another trusted person. Nine and ten adults say this ability is important with them. Seventy-two percent very important. Um, so okay, here's here's one that I think ties back into a lot. Uh, Americans say they do not wish to be observed without their approval. 88% say it's important that they not have someone watch or listen to them without their permission. 67% feel this is very important. 20% say it's somewhat important. Um, however, far fewer, 63%, feel it is important to be able to go around in public without always being identified. It's interesting, right? Mm -hmm. So. Um, only 34% believe being able to go unnoticed in public is very important. 29% say it's somewhat important. Um, it seems that they, it, it's like a contract deal, right? They wanna know what's happening. They don't mind that it's happening, but they, wanna, they want to know. They, wanna, they want to be in control of what mm. is being collected and be able to just kind of jump out if it's not comfortable for them, yeah. right? As opposed to it being a surprise. Um, and I think that's fair. It, it should never come as a surprise uh, as to what 
yeah. is being you know saved about you. And think about what that means for your product from a design perspective, from especially from an onboarding perspective. Like, exactly. what kind of expectations are you setting for your user yeah. upfront? Are you going to deliver on what you promised to them? Are you going to take things from them that you didn't tell them you were going to take from them? Right, exactly. Um, I think that th those things are becoming ever increasingly important and. There is even a lot of discussion around like the ethics of data collection and leverage within UX. Uh, one like the, we, there was a bit of a controversy controversy that exploded around a year ago with Facebook, uh, where the, of course they've always they've been known for collecting just like gross amounts of data and not telling you what they're doing with it. Like they've had massive privacy issues, um, and th this kind of came to a T a little bit ago with uh, a controversy around uh, sentiment analysis mm -hmm. that they did, where basically they were serving intentionally different like words with different sentiment or photos with different sentiment in the user's newsfeed right. to see how that impacted their behavior. Wow. And they were, they were, they were uh, measuring this against um, something called emotional contagion, right? right? So it's like deep, deep, deep psychological stuff that yeah. a lot of people can't even comprehend. Oh, I remember it was, that. It was happening without anybody knowing it. Yeah. So is this like, uh, they're hypothesizing that if we show you like newsfeed items of people being really happy and really happy stuff that you're gonna click more ads and buy more stuff. Is that kind of the idea? Right. So this is this wow. is around how they're developing like the the to my understanding like the algorithm for what their content mm -hmm. shares you. Right. And this is like a classic thing that that happens with companies whenever whenever they're doing really really like shady data collection, right. they'll say, "Oh, well, it's to improve the experience for our users." Right. right. This this one is weird because the data collection is specifically around psychological uh, mm -hmm. like and behavioral response. And what that means in short is their users were being manipulated, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And now if you tell somebody you're being manipulated for the sake of an experiment, they're gonna be like, uh, why? <laughs> and yeah. no, don't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. Unless, of course, they opted in, which they did not, yeah. right? And they didn't, I mean, knowing that a lot of people on Facebook signed up uh, far before they had the ability to read a terms of service that was like, you know, you will allow us to do uh, behavioral manipulation on a regular basis based on the items in your newsfeed. Like that, none yeah. of that existed. Like they, they just like assumed that. And of course, we don't read updated terms of services either. Mm -hmm. Like even if they had a chance to say that, most users were caught by surprise there, and they were not happy yeah. about that. Yep. Whenever, whenever you're being served ridiculously hyper relevant ads right. on something, there's some crazy stuff happening in the background that that is determining who you are and and what ads are going to be the most effective for mm -hmm. you and the question is are users actually comfortable with that right and is that are those principles the ones that we're going to build our company on right. and i think that the answer is no and uh we've especially seen that lately with public perception of Mark Zuckerberg, you know, I, I, I don't know the guy, I got no opinion on him or anything like that, but the public perception is very poor, especially recently with all of the stuff that's been happening with open internet, like the, I don't know, have you guys heard about that? Yeah, it's like... Like the free, but actually not free, kind of like super limited, AKA you yeah. can only f access Facebook in a third like, world country. They should rename it Comcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just, well, not that Comcast is doing that, but like, it's like, it makes me think of like a very power hungry strategy. Mm -hmm. It's we're going to do this. We're going to get ahead of the curve. And then when it comes down to 
the like when they can expand, we're going to use our legal powers in this situation to block people out, mm-hmm. and we're going to run the show. And it, you know, it's essentially like coming in and colonizing and claiming all the gold for yourself. And then if anybody comes in later and they're like, "Look, we're building a, a country here. We need your help," you're like, "Nope, this is my gold. Yeah. You cannot have any of the gold. You can't have any of the water supply. You can't do any of that stuff." Um, and that's destructive. Mm-hmm. You know, it's we, no different from a, uh, a government just controlling all the media. Yeah, like that is shown on television and radio and whatnot, which is essentially propaganda. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I mean, I'm, this is privatized. So there, there, I think that there are some takeaways for this uh, for people building products and people designing products. The first is I think that um, it's really important to understand that this this issue is real. This is something that people are talking about, and it's actually going. It should be playing into the strategy for. Uh, how how you develop your product, how you communicate with your customers, and what you know what your brand messaging is like. It should be a part of of who you are. And as designers, I think that we have a, a lot of ethical questions that are going to be coming our way pretty soon. Around you know like, is it ethically okay to conduct a, a study like what Facebook conducted? Uh, and my opinion on that is. Uh, I think that it's it is the the onus is at least for the time being on the company to be transparent and honest with their users about what data they're collecting and how they're using that. And I think that that's something that they should do because that's the ethically right thing to do. But I also think it's something that they're going to either do or be forced out of business yeah. once people become yes. more aware of what's happening here. A, I think a quick note on that. Yeah. Um, for an experiment like what Facebook was running, mm-hmm. I am absolutely certain that they did not want people to know that yeah. this was happening because the, the behavior would change. Mm-hmm. In a situation like that, do you still go forward with an experiment knowing that you know we can't tell users this? Is this data worth it that much that you want to mm. completely you know run a blind test like that where they nobody knows it's happening and then it will inevit- they'll inevitably find out? Yeah, and when they find out, it's a big scandal, or, or it's and like, it's going to hurt your bottom yeah. line. Yeah, well, potentially, right? Like, they don't know. Maybe they're like, whatever, people don't care. Like, But mm-hmm. you, either way, there's a chance that it can go wrong. You know, If you're running sensitive experiments like that, what do you do? You know that by telling them, it's going to change the results. Mm-hmm. You know, Maybe this isn't uh, a question to be answered in this like in this uh, wrap up piece of the podcast, you know what I mean? That's more of like a big thought process. Like something to think about is like, yeah. if you know that telling them and being honest is going to affect results, do you run that? I don't have a good answer for that. Yeah. I know it's something that I, as a designer, wouldn't want to participate in. Right. It's something that, that I don't do here. And it's something that I don't intend to do in my career because uh, I think that it degrades the work that we're doing. Mm -hmm. And I think that it is our responsibility to be honest with with our users, the people who are giving us things, and there's an exchange happening there, uh, you know, what what we're doing on our end of the bargain. Um, The User Experience Professionals Association, UXPA, has a pretty cool ethics, like code of, professional code of conduct. Um, and you can find it on the, the UXPA website. I'll link to it in the description. And it basically, it covers some of this. It talks about like, you know, how are we thinking about this stuff? How, how should designers behave in general, but also when they're, when they're encountered with conflicts like this? You know, say management specifically tells them to do something like this. Like how, how do you deal with that? I think that that's something um, 
that it's it's important to have you know principles that that we design by and, and that we operate by. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's also another side of this, which is the like outside of the amazing uptick that you can get from being a security first, a respect first company, outside of the ethics side of it, like what kind of a designer do I wanna be? What kind of a business leader do I wanna be? What would I want businesses doing with my information? Outside of that, um, there's also a trend uh, for, where, where designers and the UX industry is, is pushing ever more for the human element. Where uh, we, like for, for a long time, we couldn't collect data very good, right? Like we had static HTML websites or whatever, and there was no like real method of data collection. You you know you just kind of played around with it and and saw it worked. And right. then eventually you get like basic data collection starts to become ever more available. Then you start reporting. You know you're reporting that data regularly, and then you start analyzing it and turning it into design decisions. We've gotten really really good at that. And now we're at a point where we're actually collecting more data than we can analyze. Mm -hmm. And during this time, like because for so long we had never been able to collect data, there was a massive push for data-driven design. Because it's like, wait a second, now we can collect data. You better be using that. This is how you're going to inform your design. Okay. We want super, super, super data. And then I think there was a certain point where it's like you realize like, okay, you can't go 100% data. There's a, there's a completely, uh, different side to this. There's a more qualitative side to this, uh, where where you have to introduce the human element. You have to do what Jeff always mentions is like talk to customers, talk right. to people. Uh, when you're just buried in the data, you completely uh, remove the human from that equation. And I think that that's like the real, the real uh, special piece of this is that like regardless of what the market is doing, regardless of what your personal ethics are, this is something that's happening in UX and design naturally. Users want us to build trust with them. They want to see credibility from our end. This is why we use trust signals and, and social proof. You know, it's like, why, why do you see so many companies put like logos from the, the different clients that are using them? Like, oh, PayPal uses us and Amazon uses us and Apple uses us and uh, Square uses us. Like, why are those logos there? It's because, oh, well, if these companies use us, then, or, or if these companies use this product, then that must mean it's a good product. If they have 100,000 fans on Facebook, it must mean it's a good product. If they have secure, like SSL or security checkout certificates built into it, I know that my information is going to be safe. We've already been building these cues in there. Right. This is just taking it to a completely different level where we're going to be leading with this. And we already know in, in UX and design, the building trust and credibility and true rapport on an individual level with your customers is extremely important. Right. Now, another thing, another big question to think about, and we are definitely not going to cover this right now, but <laughs> I want you to think pretty hard, is yes, you should be leading with your uh, security um, attitude. You should be able to tell customers in a very clear and concise way what you're going to be doing with their data and how you're going to be treating them in terms of data collection. Uh, the question becomes when? When do you tell them that? Mm -hmm. Should you tell them that right away? Where does your marketing copy sit? When do you convince them about your product and when do you convince them about um, you know how like how do you re when should you be reassuring them right mm -hmm. because it's hard to just kind of do everything all at once mm -hmm. you know should you be putting a bunch of um, 
you know, lock icons in the same place that it's also talking about your product features. You know, um, I don't, I don't have a good answer for that, but I'd love to. I think this is something that, that we more. still, yeah. So I do have a, some quick thoughts on that yeah. because this is something that I've been wanting to build into our site as well. And I think this is still a little bit of uncharted territory. Right. And the best way that you're going to get this information is through qualitative research. Start putting together different trust signals on your site outside of the ones that, that are already pretty commonplace, like some of the ones that I mentioned. Right. Start adding, adding trust signals and sitting down and talking to people and, and saying, which of these matter the most to you and, and getting that information from them. I think that eventually what we're going to see is more standardized design patterns around security. Yeah. We're already seeing this in the European Union with the, the cookie bars that will pop up whenever a site is hosted in the European Union and it's collecting cookies on you, you'll get that little cookie bar that right. pops out. Every site in the European Union has to have an imprint with their business information so that you can contact them or sue them or whatever if you want to. Uh, I think we're going to see more and more of that and figuring out what those effective patterns are ahead of time is going to be important. But there are a few things that, that you can already do, right? There are, depending on which industry you're in, there are going to be third-party certifications that you can place on your site as trust signals. You can use SSL. You can have statements like the statement that Apple has. Lead with the statement somewhere on your website that says, hey, we just want you to know we care about your data and your privacy. And in this statement, we talk about what we're going to be doing with that. Don't write it in legal jargon. Write it in everyday, readable, understandable mm -hmm. stuff so that somebody can go on there, read you know, several paragraphs and understand what the, you're going to be doing with their information. And this is, this is stuff that you'll see passed around and used as examples for best-in-class practices because this is something that's becoming ever more important in design. Right. And don't just say it. Prove it. Yeah. Like if you're yeah. if you're gonna preach security and responsibility with uh, someone's data that they're inputting, uh, in the password form, enforce strict password rules. Mm -hmm. Don't leave massive security holes in yeah in your like, UI. Like and <laughs> like the damage that happens when there are security breaches is just massive. Yeah. So just avoid that altogether by doing the right. Yeah. And that's you're, more of like, like a developer. You just thing, save them but, a bunch of pain by yes. like you're like. We're gonna do some uh, very responsible things with your data, and also we're we're gonna make sure that it doesn't get stolen. Don't worry about yeah. it. Yeah, like I, I think that's definitely like that's the standard now for yeah. sure. Yeah, um, Just as just as a final proof point on this, as a little bit of an anecdotal piece of information, right? Google has already come out and said that sites with SSL certificates will be ranking higher in yes. search. So just like they came out with responsive design and said, hey, if your site is not responsive, you'll be penalized in search. And just like they came out with mobile interstitials and said, hey, if your site has a mobile interstitial, you're going to be penalized in search. They're, Google, if you, if you look at how Google is really constructing their algorithm now, it is mostly focused around design and user experience. Yeah. They're taking terrible design patterns and they're killing them. And that's something that M Matthew Barbie mentioned a couple say, episodes ago. It's like, ago. does that actually mean that you're hurting mm -hmm. search? Go yeah. listen to the Matthew yeah. Barbie episode yeah. and find out. Regardless, but though, the web is moving toward an all HTTPS yes, web anyway. Exactly. And and now, so Google has already has already come out and said that they are boosting the rankings of SSL in encrypted websites mm -hmm. in search. But now, 
on Chrome, if you're running a Chrome browser and you're on a website that does not have an SSL certificate, classically, it would just show a white piece of paper, right? Right. And if it were SSL encrypted, it would be a green lock. Now, if it's not encrypted, it will be a, there will be a red X over a lock to indicate to the user that the site that they're using is not encrypted and it may not be safe. Right, they're implying that there's something wrong with it now, which is mm -hmm. a big difference in how you frame that. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we're really seeing uh, at an early stage right now what the ethos is in, in the industry and in design for how data should be treated and how we should inform the customer. And right now is the opportunity to get ahead of that. Absolutely. So um, I think this is a good place to uh, leave you with all of that. I mean, there was a lot of information in this podcast. So feel free to go back and listen again. And we'll, put, we'll put links in the description to the Absolutely. sources we mentioned. Um, if you have any questions about this, or if you've been hacked in the past and want to share your story, <laughs> <laughs> um, please send us an email. Um, our email address is hello at uxandgrowth.com. Um, I promise that we answer the emails in the inbox. Sometimes we talk about it a lot before we do, <laughs> but we do our best to answer it's it. It's a in very time, democratic right? process. Yeah, it really is. We all, it's all three of us in one inbox, so like it gets pretty gnarly sometimes. Um, so hello at uxandgrowth.com. Uh, that's where you can uh, reach out to us. Uh, please listen to some of the other podcasts. The Matthew Barbie one is fantastic, yeah. um, and it does touch on security a little bit. Um, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day.